This episode of the Beards for Radio podcast is brought to you by Farbar. Handmade, dyed, screen printed, and sewn products like hats, shirts, hoodies, and more. 100% original designs. This is a self-made small business started locally by Ypsilanti native and a good friend of mine, Farbar Bagarpur. These products are high quality, groundbreaking, best fashion possible, and will ship to you as soon as he can do it. Visit far-ebar.com to check out the next great addition to your wardrobe. Do it for me, do it for the beards, do it for my man Farbar. Beards for Radio. Okay. Nice. <laughs> um, I just want to start out by um saying, I guess, uh, sorry to Mark D'Antonio and Michigan State <laughs> last week. Um, I guess I betrayed his trust a little bit and um, went on a bit of a rant. And, you know, this is part of Mark D'Antonio, I, I think, this is just a theory. He didn't really care about the Northwestern game, and he knew that losing that game would make beating Penn State all the much sweeter. <laughs> so he was like, yeah, I'm just going to do that. <laughs> but that was like a, a classic Michigan State game. It reminded me of the 2015 uh, Ohio State game where they went in with no Connor Cook. And the defense, you know, they bend, but they don't break. They just stand up long enough to get the offense the ball. Um so the offense can wake up and do something with the in the final minutes. Um, I, I, like before the game, when I saw LJ Scott wasn't going to play, Daryl Stewart wasn't going to play, Jalen Naylor wasn't going to play, uh, already knew Cody White, Kevin Jarvis, and David Beadle were out. Um, I, my doubts definitely grew uh, right before kickoff. But uh, I got to give a little bit of credit to either Dave Warner or Mark Staten. I don't know whose idea it was, but it seems like with O-line pieces missing, they just simplified the run protection. And they were getting a push on um, when they were running the ball, which was a first this year, and it came against the best D-line they played. So that was confusing a little bit. Uh, Lewerke, I thought he could have played a little bit better, but he stepped up when he needed to. Um, I thought the interception he threw was really no fault of his. It kind of bounced off of Cam Chambers' hands, and he was in a cast uh, for the second half. Took a weird bounce and uh, floated in the air. Penn State defender caught it. I don't really fault him for that pick. He made a couple of overthrows, had a few drops. But overall, 259 yards, two touchdowns. Uh, he out he dueled McSorley, who was held to 192 yards and a touchdown. And um, – Going forward, obviously it doesn't mean much if they don't build off of it. Um, otherwise, it's just like a nice highlight in an otherwise unnoteworthy season. Um, but it sets up for a big matchup next week. And um, as always, they played well with their backs against the wall. And uh, I, I apologize for doubting. <laughs> Last week you called them mediocre. Do you still think they're mediocre? Um, I do, but if they, if they beat Michigan, I will change my mind on that. <laughs> yeah, I don't think that's going to happen. I don't think they're going to beat Michigan. I think it's going to be a pretty good, pretty good game if they keep <clears throat> taking this out because Penn State's a good momentum builder for them. I, I'll give them that, but I'll tell you what, dude, I, I feel that 
biggest plays, Trace McSorley chipping on himself with, on, on a four and four was big for you guys because, you know, if, if he, he could have took it off because he got some wheels, he had a little bit of space, maybe could have made something happen, but that's woulda, coulda, shoulda. Your dude, right. your, the dude on your team to me is Felton Davis because I think I, I was watching that post post interview with Felton Davis. He said, you know, I just told him, Lewerke, throw it up, man. Just throw it up. I'm going to the end zone. I'm going long. And Lewerke, I felt like he ducked it. You know, I don't feel like it was like a short back throw for the, you know, for the, for the, for the uh, wide receiver to come back. I think Felton Davis had great presence of mind and awareness to say, oh, crap, this is a little short. You know what I'm saying? And he came back to it. So, yeah. <laughs> I, like, I, I, like, I, I like what James Laurinaitis, the color commentator, said. Like, he under – he intentionally underthrew it. Like, oh, yeah, under – he intentionally underthrew it. Let's go with that. That sounds good. <laughs> right, right. Totally, totally contradicted what Felton Davis said. And he's like, I just told him to throw it up. And he's like, I felt like he ducked it. And, like, you're right. Look, the work he needs to play on a higher – more higher level than, than what we've seen him, you know, been playing at, you know. But, but – absolutely great presence of mind to, to come back to that because I really don't think it was those one of those short you know off off shoulder throws for the wide receiver to come back to I think just Felton Davis had great awareness at that moment yeah and it was it was encouraging to me that the running game was actually working a little bit and they didn't try to like hammer it to death um I thought the first two trick plays they ran obviously because they worked but they were perfectly timed um fake punt, and then two plays later, uh, running back pass. Uh, we've discussed it on here that their two current running backs were quarterbacks in high school. Um, they did go for the fake field goal, like, uh, down by three. I didn't hate the, the decision to go for the fake because it shows an aggressiveness and you want to win. You don't. You aren't playing to tie. You aren't playing to go to overtime. Um, but I don't know. Why, why throw it to a defensive tackle, right? Like, Raekwon <laughs> I haven't really seen him catch anything. So moving on, um, Michigan State obviously wasn't the only Big Ten team in the state to pull off a win over a ranked team yesterday. Um, I'll let you guys decide which Wolverine wants to train. Uh, Mike, hey man, take it away, brother. All right. Well, I have a lot of thoughts, so I'll try not to be too scatterbrain. Um, first and foremost, time limits. <laughs> <laughs> I am very, very happy that Ed Wardner is U of M's offensive line coach because even though U of M has been down a lot more than up the past several years, you can't really point to any other year where they really had good, consistent offensive line play unless you go back several years. Um, I loved the fact that they got 237 rushing yards in the second half, uh, 7.4 yards per rush. They only threw four or four yards, but they were running the ball so well that it didn't matter. I don't even think they had many attempts. Um, I'll let you go, Sasha. No, yeah, I, I, I agree with you, man. Look, <clears throat> you know, in, in the beginning, the offensive line was a little concerned. You know, we heard it from uh, Braylon Edwards, his thoughts on it. But, you know, they've did a 180 since, you know, beginning of the season. You know, Karan, 
uh, Higdon had a hundred, uh, a buck oh five. He had a touchdown. McCaffrey had a forty-four yard sc- uh, scamper. He threw the Jets on like his brother, man. That was that was pretty nuts. I mean, Patterson went fourteen for twenty-one. You know, no touchdowns, no picks, but he hit eight different wide receivers, man. Especially if, especially having Tariq Black out, that shows that. Uh, you know, he does have options to go to. So I, I like that, that he's comfortable throwing to an array of players. And he, he had 90 yards himself, man. So, yeah, the, the run game was established, man. So um, my biggest concern is going forward against, you know, State, Penn State, Ohio State, obviously, is more consistency on the passing end because, you know, they're getting it done on the rushing end. Yeah, we see that. But what's going to happen if they do hit, you know, a wall where the run does get stopped, how will Shea Patterson, you know, react to that? And that that's my biggest concern. Other than that, man, they just need to keep this this monster rolling and just need to keep this momentum going into next week and, you know, and further because I want to see this kind of play and this kind of excitement uh, against Ohio State, man. You could, even, even, the, even the after interviews with Winovich and, uh, and Shea Patterson was just uh, exciting to watch, dude. So, I, 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 I hope they carry on this energy and just they just need to. It just needs to happen, man. So I'm, I'm excited from what I see. But definitely from the, from the offensive line standpoint, man, they've come a long way from, you know, the beginning of the season. So Yeah, and uh, I, one thing I will say about that performance against Notre Dame, it's Notre Dame's a top three defensive line in the country. Mm-hmm. True. And that was Ed Wardner's first game. It was Shea Patterson's first game at Michigan. You know, looking back, you it's kind of understandable how terrible they looked. Um, Wisconsin's a very good team, but they're actually pretty bad defensively. So you can hang your hat on it to a certain point. I would like – I am very interested in how they play against Michigan State. Um, and to your point, too, I was hoping – I, if, if you if if you really want to be like picky about it, I kind of wanted to see the passing game open up more because every game, Shea Patterson seems to sling it 20, 25 times a game, and then in that small sample size, he does well. But you kind of want to see a game where he puts the team on his back and he throws for three hundred yards because they might have to do that next week and they might have to do that against Ohio State, and we haven't seen that yet. So. <clears throat> I'm gonna hundred percent agree agree with you on that because I feel like Shea's a he's a good he's a good quarterback, especially when he's on the run. But when he does not have a target, he tends to force it. And we've seen him force those and, and, and get the interception against Maryland when he tried to just force it in there and it just wasn't there. And then sometimes he'll just stay in the pocket and then he'll overshoot or undershoot wide receivers. So I think that's what I want to see more of him tighten that down. So I agree with you. Definitely. Yeah. And it's nice that his backup plan, he, he has some jets and we saw it yesterday and uh, that that's a nice second option as he can scramble. Um, I do yeah. like that for the most part week to week, he gets better. He had that little hiccup against Northwestern, but even in that game, he played much better in the second half and it kind of gives you confidence going forward that you're going to see the ceiling on him keep rising. Yeah, definitely. Because, right? Because, because I, I think our, I think our defense is there. You know, we saw two picks, one for uh, uh, six points from Hill. So, I, I, I like our defense. I think we got good, we got good dudes. You know, leading them. Wish I could see Rashawn Geary back, but you know, he got 
you got Pay, Solomon, Dwum Fordkamp, who can come and back it up and, you know, hold it down while he's not there. Because to me, Winovich is the heart of that defense, you know. And if he keeps playing with the moxie and, the, you know, the spirit that he's playing with, man, I think our, I think our defense is something to be reckoned with. But, yeah, man, going forward, I want to see more passing. I want to see more. I want to see that four four touchdown, 300. You know, I want to see a two, two uh, from Alabama type game. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So I agree with you on that one. And the defense, the defense was great because I thought Michigan would win this game, but I thought it would be a shootout. I thought we'd see like 38 to 30, not 38 to 13. Right. Because actually all, uh, Alabama – or um, excuse me, Wisconsin has a really good offense. Like, Jonathan Taylor, one of the best running backs in the country. And I was talking to Joe earlier this week. Like, if you look at Hornybrook, he was, he's was he been kind of sneaky good this year. He's not the Hornybrook from 2016. And he looked awful last night. Yeah. And I think you have to give credit to U of M's defense for that. Absolutely. Um, uh, like, I – you know, I watched a little bit of the game with you last night, Mike. Um, it seemed like Wisconsin never really got any drives going aside from uh, when they answered Patterson's uh, – I mean, um, Higdon's touchdown after Patterson's long run. It seemed like they never got anything going. Like, they had one jet sweep work uh, that resulted in the touchdown for them. Other than that, like, they were just stifled for the most part. And you saw Hornybrook um, start to force passes a little bit and – I think his last interception, the touchdown for Hill, he, like, threw it right to him. Like, as soon as the ball left his hands, it was a pick. Me and Mike are kind of, like, in agreement that we need to see a more established passing game because if the running game stops and then they're just one – they're just a one-trick pony, then, you know, all this was for nothing, so. Right. Yep, yep. I, I think you need to be able to pass it if you're going to be – Ohio State, and maybe even Penn State and Michigan State. You can run on the Maryland's of the world and not have to worry as much about the pass, but if you want to continue to win big games, you need it from both sides. Especially on the road. I think that'll play a factor uh, towards the end of the year. Um, I don't know. I mean, Northwestern did just come into East Lansing and beat up on Sparty. But, you know, obviously Columbus, end of the year, um, when the ball doesn't always uh, get spotted where you want, you know. Uh, <laughs> You got it. <laughs> so, um, I saw we we saw three quarterbacks for Michigan last night. Um, was that just a product of a blowout game, or do you think maybe next week we do see a little bit of a uh, Dylan McCaffrey? Joe, Mike, Mike, take that one because I gotta think about well, that. Well, I feel like uh, Dylan's made an appearance in almost every game. I know we've seen him a lot this year. But um, I feel like most I, games have been blowouts. That's so like, true. Is that, is that a factor? <laughs> um, you, I, I feel like Dylan's the better scrambler, but not by a wide margin. Would you agree with that, Joe? I think that's fair for what I've seen. Um, obviously, a lot of us were kind of drooling over him when uh, he stepped in when Patterson missed a few plays against Notre Dame. But um, obviously, Patterson has kind of taken over. I think he's faster than Patterson. Not that Patterson's slow by any measure. But he seems kind of quicker, like more of a juker and a shaker, you know? Yeah, I, feel, I haven't I seen feel, him pass that much, though. Yeah, I feel like Shea, you might categorize as a scrambler. And Dylan, you might actually put the dual threat label on him. What do you think, Sasha? 
No, I, I agree. Yeah, yeah. I don't think McCaffrey's m- as much of a scrambler as Shea Patterson, but north to south, dude, he he turned on the Jets, man. You know, I gotta think, dude. His his dad was a was an NFL player. His brother's an NFL. His mother, I believe, was like a track and field star. You know, that's how him and his mom, him and his uh, her and her dad met. So, you know, the boys got boys got athletic genes in his you know body, bro. And he turned on the Jets last night. So I think he is faster than Shea, but I don't think he can juke like Shea can juke. But from what we saw from from McCaffrey, when they do bring him in, he scores. He's throwing a touchdown. He's so, showed so much promise in such a small, small, small sample size that I'm excited to see what else this kid can do, you know. So it's like for, for me, the future is brighter in the quarterback position, which I've been griping about in Michigan for right. like over a decade, you know. So Right. Um, I got a question before we move on to uh, previewing the, the game next week, the Paul Bunyan battle. Uh, is this – the best game for Michigan since Jim Harbaugh has been on the sidelines. You want to take it first, Seth? Yeah, I'll take it first. Um, yeah, I think that this is a probably the biggest game because it's 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 finally a team that's um, that's actually ranked. You know, what I'm saying they haven't been a ranked team since what 2016, something like that. So, yeah. so personally, I think this is his biggest win, you know what I'm saying? And the, like I said, this just needs a snowball. This needs to snowball down the hill. This needs to keep on going because it's, it, it just can't stop. You, you, you can't revert back from this. You can't do that. So um, I, I, I think this is definitely his biggest um, game that he should be, be, be a part of. So. Yeah, um, you know, it was a chance to uh, get that monkey off your back about not beating a ranked team for so long. And I think this upcoming week is a chance for him to get another monkey off his back. Um, we know the whole narrative about, um, yeah, I haven't beaten a ranked team on the road since Notre Dame in 06. And Michigan State should be ranked, I think, probably 22 or 23. Yeah, I think they should um, be back in the fold. You're right. Yeah. Well, Mike, your thoughts on uh, if last night was U of M's biggest win under Harbaugh? I think it might be um, just because of the audience, people that watched, and just, you know, perspective-wise, people might consider it. I don't know if it actually is because I kind of feel like Paul Christ coughed that game away. <laughs> there was, like, <laughs> a stat where it was, like, they, I mean, Wisconsin had three or six third downs where it was three yards or less, and they threw on five of the six instead of giving it to Jonathan Taylor. That's a not calling timeout right for halftime, so you of them could you know drain the clock, kick a field goal, time get the ball again when he had like three two or timeouts to use. So I kind of feel like that kind of makes it feel like it wasn't as big of an achievement. Beating Wisconsin in 2016, I would consider a big win. Penn State in 2016 might be bigger. Um, right. But that team did go on to win the Big Ten Championship. So yeah, but like, they were still getting their – you know, they. I don't think – they improved as the season went on, but it's still kind of considered – And um, I think this is Wisconsin. They're 2-1 and one against Penn State. So, I mean, this this coming week might be a big deal because 
if they can beat Michigan State, then they'd be two and two against Michigan State. And I think that becomes can Harbaugh beat Ohio State. So, uh, as we alluded to, uh, chance for a big – and for me, it's the biggest day of the year, uh, October 20th. It's Michigan, Michigan State. Uh, some call it the brotherly battle, the backyard brawl. Uh, I just know it as the battle for the Paul Bunyan Trophy and the biggest rivalry to me. So, um, we'll just take a look at keys to the game, and, yeah, we'll go from there. Sounds good. Um, I think I think the biggest key is always in this game the run game. I don't have the stats in front of me, but it's like it's this crazy stat. Like the team who has rushed for more yards has won it um, something like eighteen out of twenty times. Uh, I wish I had that. I wish I could find that stat, but I couldn't. Um, but you know, Michigan State's defense strength is running the ball. Michigan's offensive strength is running the ball. Um, Michigan State offense, they're hell-bent on running the ball, and what I saw against Penn State encourages me that maybe we'll be able to. Um, also, the biggest question for Michigan State is LJ Scott. If he plays, that's a huge improvement. No offense to Connor Hayward and uh, Ladarius Jefferson, but LJ Scott's got that experience. He's proven it, and he's played well against Michigan uh, the two times he's played them in his career. So I think that's <laughs> – for my Spartans, uh, that's that's the biggest factor is if L.J. Scott plays. How confident are you in L.J. Scott? Because he's kind of been up and down his career. Yeah. Um, I'm iffy on him because he's, he's a hit or miss every week. Like, not just every season, but it's like week to week. He could go out and, and have a monster game. He could go out and fumble the ball three times. Um. Behind the offensive line I saw yesterday, I would say my confidence is 80% in him. <laughs> I know that's kind of non-committal, but I would say I am. I do have confidence in LJ Scott because he does have a vision that Hayward and Jefferson don't have. And if he's healthy, if Ankle is good to go, he's a much more explosive player. So I would say I am. I, I wouldn't say very, but I am confident in LJ Scott. What about what about Josiah Price coming back? How, you know, how, how does that play a factor into it, Joe? Uh, well, uh, Josiah Price doesn't play there anymore, but Josiah Scott, the, uh, the cornerback. My bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My bad. My bad. Um, I doubt he's going to play. He has a – we haven't heard anything about practice from him. I think Michigan State knows they won't have Cody White or David Beadle. So, LJ Scott might be the biggest question mark. And then um, Daryl Stewart, Jalen Naylor, and Kevin Jarvis are all kind of on the fence. So, if we see multiple of those players back, it's a big boost for the offense because they can't keep throwing to Matt Sokol and Brandon Sowards and um, expect Felton Davis to save them in the fourth quarter, you know? So, so with, with Scott out, do you think they'll, they'll try to go more to the passing game? Michigan will? Um, that's an interesting for me because I think, I think they'll stick to their guns and try to run it for as long as they can. Um, 
I, I haven't been able to watch them as much this year. I think I think they will try to pass it a bit more than a normal game, knowing that MSU's weakness is their secondary this season. Right, right. But I think they do rely on the run game early and often. So, yes and no. <laughs> I got you. As long as that if that if that run game opens up, I could see them really sticking to it. But also, but also trying to go to the pass because they're going to need to go to it later on. So, and Higdon has been one of the best running backs in the league um, through six games this year. I, th- I think that's fair to say. And I kind of wish they would have went to him more last year against Michigan yeah. State because he had some success, but they wanted O'Corn to keep throwing for some reason. It was questionable play calling. Yeah. And that's another factor is the play calling. Like, um, obviously, I've had my criticisms of Dave Warner and his scheming. Um, it seems like he does a lot better when his biggest pieces are out because he might just not be a creative guy. So, like, when he has to go back to the simplicity of the offense, that's when it works best for him, you know. Yeah, and as long as uh, Michigan doesn't just bring in Joe Milton to run a draw when everyone's expecting that when they see Milton and I, you know, <clears throat> have been a little bit happier with Michigan's play calling as of late. Right. Yeah. Milton had a nice little scramble at the end of the game before they uh, put McCaffrey in and take a knee. So, you know, it, it's exciting seeing, you know, you know, more and more quarterback play than we've seen since Harbaugh has been here. He's been mixing it up because that's been my that's been my biggest issue is that you know they get up by big and they still have their starters in. It's just like rotate these guys in, you know, get get guys acclimated. Find a find a diamond in the rough that you might be able to throw in there. You know, I'm, I'm glad they have the red shirt rule change because this is what we're seeing from it. Stuff like this. And right as I started to get irritated that I started seeing – I was still seeing starters in the game, that's when they actually started to bring in the younger guys, and that actually made me really happy last night. Right, definitely. <clears throat> yeah, if Michigan State ever got a lead like that, like, that's what I would want to. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it's a big quarterback battle because um, when the announcement was made that Shea Patterson would play um, – Instantly, because, you know, we're all – we're a very tight-knit fan base in Michigan. Uh, you know, everybody – everybody's blue or green to some extent. You know, you got a few other fan bases sprinkled in here. But instantly we started hearing comparisons between Brian Lewerke and Shea Patterson. And I know the quarterbacks don't necessarily face each other on the field, but that is what it's about. Like, the best quarterback will win the game. And I feel like – Right now, if I had to place my confidence in one, it would be in Patterson. I need to see more from Lewerke to have confidence in this game. And to be fair, uh, Patterson's had a lot more help from Higdon than Lewerke has from Scott, and that might be the deciding factor in this game, which combo plays better. Uh-huh. And that's that's a fair, that's a fair assessment. Um, I feel like I need to see – it might be not just by necessity. Like, he might be running for his life from, from some people and potentially make something out of it. So, I think we will see a lot more Lewerke running this this upcoming week. <coughs> uh, 
Uh, Sasha, your thoughts? Um, yeah, I think I think Lewerke does it with his legs. I just want to see more with his arm. You know, he hasn't been throwing good. He just hasn't looked good. And I'm telling you right now, Joe, and I'm going to say it like I said it a few podcasts ago, it, he, he might need a haircut because uh, I think that might be his downfall. He plays with his hair too much on the sideline rather than look at the books, talk to the guys up top. But I just poke fun at that. But, yeah, I, I, just, need to, I just need to see him throw. He needs to throw more. He needs to be a little more consistent on his throws. I mean, like I said, dude, you have, you have a weapon like Felton Davis. Come on, dude. You know, you, 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 you go far with that guy. Even, even when you don't even throw him, throw the ball with in his vicinity or you don't throw it on target, you know, he's big, he's strong, he's going to get up there. You know, he, like I said, last night he had great, great, great presence of mind to come back to that ball, which I don't think it was intentionally thrown. So, you have Felton Davis out there, man, you know, bro, and I know I know he's down, you know, you know, uh, White's going to still be out, I believe you, you were saying. So, yeah. he, 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 needs, he needs to start being more – consistent on his throws but then again like I said he has Paul Davis out there so you know how accurate you have to be when you have a, when you have a wide receiver like that <laughs> that's a fair point yeah I would like them to see I would like to see them utilize the weapons that they have available more often um, but like you said like Lewerke hasn't been slinging it as well as we know he can like last year against Northwestern and Penn State when he threw for 400 in back-to-back games excuse me I haven't seen that yet this year so I, I, what I like, this is me fantasizing about what I'll see, but I doubt I'll actually see it. What I would love to see is like them work him in like a zone read, run pass option type to get him going, kind of work him into the game, get him comfortable. Because you see some jitters early in the game, and you can't afford that. So I'd like to see them utilize his legs more, get him comfortable, and then set and throw, you know, uh, if Daryl Stewart's healthy, that's a huge addition. He's got experience. And he's a big play receiver. And they use him a lot on the jet sweep, too. Um, but, yeah, Felton Davis, when he steps on the field, he's easily their best offensive weapon, um, Lewerke. So you got to get him more, more involved and throw the ball his way. <clears throat> Do you think that's the key to get Lewerke playing better? Because there has been a big drop-off since last year. Is him running more? Yeah, that's what I think the key is. Because you saw last year, uh, especially early in the season, he was running a lot more. Not out of necessity. They were designing runs for Lewerke. And he was playing a lot looser. He was better. Look at his rushing numbers this year compared to last through uh, comparatively six games. He's nowhere near the numbers he was putting up at this point last year. So I feel like, the run game for Lewerke, the run game and the passing game coexist very well, and they feed off of each other. It's almost like you can't have one without the other. Who do you think this game's bigger for, Joe? Michigan or Michigan State? <laughs> I actually think it's bigger for Michigan because Michigan has one loss and is still in the college football playoff discussion. And if you beat a ranked team on the road, and again, I think Michigan State will be ranked, that's huge. Um, if you ask Mark D'Antonio, he will say Michigan State 10 times out of 10, obviously. And I, I want to say Michigan State because, you know, that's my team. But I think 
it does more for Michigan. It does more against Michigan if they lose this game than it does against Michigan State if they lose. Is that fair to say? Absolutely. I think Michigan's ceiling's higher just because they have one loss instead of two. Yeah. Um, hypothetically. Yeah, um, yeah so I, I, def- I definitely agree with <clears throat> with Mike on that one is that, you know, you guys you, you, you guys pretty much stole my thunder, you know what I'm saying? You, you said every reason why I think Michigan, it's, it's needed more for Michigan than it is for, you know, Michigan State. You know, and, and Joe, it's, you know, that's us. That's who we are. We're realists. You know what I'm saying? We put we put our bias aside to actually be, you know, window shoppers, be the outside guys looking in and saying, you know what? You know, if I wasn't a fan of both, you know, you'd have right. to say this. So, yeah, definitely. I, th- I think Mike's right, right, right on point with that. Yeah, I would agree with Mike that Michigan's ceiling is higher. For the aspect of Michigan State, um, it's big in the sense that they have to defend home field. You just let Northwestern come in and win at Spartan Stadium. And the most successful Michigan State teams, they did not lose at home, ever. So you got to protect home field. But I still think it's bigger for Michigan. Yep, and I don't know where it cut me off. But uh, like I said, if Harbaugh is 2-2 two and two versus State, it changes narratives too. Because then he's either 500 or better against every team except Ohio State. Exactly. Right, and Mark D'Antonio, like, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna list the success against Michigan because I, I don't know, that's just not needed right now. Like, it would be great for Mark D'Antonio to win this game, but if he loses this game, I think after last week, Michigan State fans have learned to have a lot more patience with him, especially when it comes to this rivalry game. Um, with Harbaugh, I don't think there are any fans turning on him, but mm-hmm. like you said. Well, I mean, there's not as many. There's not yeah, as many. As the minority, ones. they're just loud. They're just loud, right? <laughs> uh, they make up for their lack of numbers with their volume. <laughs> but if he, if he is two and two, looks a lot better than one and three. And I think there's something to be said if both of them are on the road. Of course, that also means the inverse is true, where you've lost both of them against State at home, but two road wins against Antonio be big that would be big and it would mean beating brian lewerke um which like before i let sasha talk sorry sasha um, uh, the quarterbacks that have started for mark d'antonio when they lost to michigan have been brian hoyer who was not good in college andrew maxwell who was terrible and tyler o'connor who shouldn't have been playing at western <laughs> um, so if you beat brian lewerke who i still think is a good quarterback um that's that's also a big step in the in the rivalry going forward. Yeah, that's true. I, I think beating Shea Patterson would be bigger than beating John O'Corn. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, de- definitely with 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 the hype with the hype train behind Patterson and like the whole, you know, our transfers. The transfer issue for me was, you know, like why is he taking transfers over, you know, his hand picked group dudes, you know what I'm saying? So, yeah, most definitely I think it would be bigger to be Patterson. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. One, of, one, of the, one of the criticisms you can give Harbaugh is O'Corn was supposed to be the stopgap when he got here. <clears throat> he knew what he had in Shane Morris, and I don't think he 
thought much of it. He started recruiting his own guys, but he knew they were young. So he immediately went after Rudock and O'Korn. And Rudock, you know, for a stop was good. O'Korn was a failure as a stopgap. And uh, it's a big reason why they lost five games last year is that he wasn't ready. Right. I don't think he ever planned on Spate being the guy. I think he planned on O'Korn being the stopgap. That's fair. Yeah. Right. And, you know, to Sasha's point, um, <clears throat> I think Patterson is kind of the hand-picked guy for Harbaugh, you know? Like, n- nothing against uh, McCaffrey or um, Peters, even though I wasn't super impressed with Peters uh, last season. I know he was a freshman. Uh, so, like, all things considered, he wasn't bad. Um, but when you see a Shea Patterson out there and you look at, you know, McCaffrey, a redshirt freshman, Peters, a redshirt sophomore, and then Milton coming in. Um, I feel like that is handpicked for Harbaugh, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, once you take uh, a Shea Patterson who's played in the SEC over that while you can. Like, because then you'll get two years of Shea and then uh, hypothetically two years of McCaffrey or three years of Milton. Right. And uh, I, I think – he knew if he didn't win before it came time for those guys' time, the fans would turn on him. And that's why he has the transfers. Because look at Nebraska right now with um, – uh, Frost? Yes, yes. <laughs> Despite them being terrible last year, you already see a fan base getting impatient with Scott Frost this first year. And that, would, and that was happening here a little bit, you know, especially after the season last year. So – you know, college football fans, they expect you to win right away. And, you know, they don't have much patience. Especially if you're the third highest paid freaking college coach in the nation. You know, I think there's a, there, there should be a little more, you know, now, now, now factor to that, you know. Right. Like in college football, losing doesn't do anything. You know, it doesn't necessarily help you build. You can't tank for the number one pick in college right. football. If anything, you lose recruits when you lose. You know, guys that are supposed to be coming, they'll either, you know, sign with a different team or they'll transfer. Mm-hmm. And, you um, know, Harbaugh coming in with, you know, double-digit wins the first two years definitely helped. And uh, I think some fans were panicking after last year, but the future is bright with those three quarterbacks. I think so. I think so. Um yeah, uh, I don't know if you've looked at the weather at all for next week, Sasha. I don't think it's supposed to be raining or anything like that. So uh, hopefully we won't get any, like, excuses or uh, blaming on the weather from either side. Because it, it, it rains for Michigan. It doesn't rain for Sparty. Right. I haven't looked at the weather report at all for next week, but I'm, I'm hoping it's like it is today. It's nice out. Okay. You're in California, Sasha, so it's nice. Oh, so it's beautiful right now, man. Me and my wife are about to go hiking, and uh, <laughs> it, there's uh, nice trails. I'm going to take some pictures um, for my camera. And then and then in about five hours, we hop on a party bus, and we go to Universal Studios, for, and we're staying there for like 12 hours, getting, getting wasted because they have this, like, Halloween – tour you know what i'm saying where everything's pretty much hot that it's kind of like if he has ever gone to like i don't know fright fright night or or that weekends thing it's a same thing but you're going on universal studios back lots this is like 
like movie makeup horror stuff, dude, and they just hop out at you. Um, the theme this year, actually, they do a theme every year. This theme is uh, is a Stranger Things theme. So nice. when you first walk in, they have a bunch of demigorgons uh, chasing you around, dude. So um, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm definitely going to fill you guys in on this. I wish I could wear my GoPro, they, but there's no any kind of uh, video, any kind of uh, uh, flash photography you can take. So I was going to strap a GoPro on my chest and just walk through there, but I can't do that, dude. So. Well, if I make you run, I'm not, I'm not into that. I'm, I'm going to have to run from the organs. <laughs> <laughs> I need to look into moving, man. California sounds a lot better. Right? <laughs> <laughs> oh. Before we move on to uh, our next topic, um, like we alluded to, it's a big game. Uh, we talked about the run game versus the run game for both sides. Lewerke versus Patterson, D'Antonio versus Harbaugh. Um, let's just be bold. Who wins? And if you if you feel like it, what's your score? Uh, Mike, you're our guest. I'll let you lead off. Uh, I, I'm picking Michigan. I don't expect them to lose again until they play Ohio State. But uh, this game and Penn State – it wouldn't sort of shock me if they lose, but I'm still, um, still I'm still expecting them to win. Uh, one possession game, even if they lose. But uh, I'm I'm looking at Michigan, twenty four seventeen. All right, Sasha. That's fair. I think Michigan uh, will win this one. I don't. I think the defense is definitely going to play the major key. So I think Michigan is probably going to be. You can start them off with a negative fourteen. I'll give them. I'll give them fourteen. I think Michigan's going to win by two touchdowns. So that's my take on it, Joe. What are you thinking? Well, honestly, I'm hoping by two touchdowns because I feel like uh, that's when Mark D'Antonio like comes out of the coffin and uh, rises from the grave, more like what a is zombie. <laughs> When he sees like the uh, the top ten team in front of him, he rises out of the grave and eats them up. <laughs> um, I'm gonna say the score uh, will be twenty four to twenty one, and I'm gonna go with my home team. Let's go, Michigan State. Oh my God, are you possessed? <laughs> I did it last week. Uh, last week, last year, when we had somebody else on the show, um, it worked out. With it. <laughs> All right, man. Uh, I do have to say I'm more confident in Michigan this year than last year. That's fair. <laughs> like last year, if you thought Michigan was going to win, it's only because Michigan State kind of – they kind of seemed depleted, but they just kept chugging along all season and getting better as the season went on. Yeah. Um. Oh, yeah, I'm picking Michigan State. That doesn't mean I don't think Michigan's a bit scary. Segue into next segment. <laughs> um, next Halloween. segment was Halloween movies. Scary horror facts, the best ones. Subgenres to main genres to what we personally like and some, you know, go-to Halloween movies that you actually have to watch, some gore movies you have to watch this whole month because, you know, Halloween should be celebrated all October. That's right. Mike, one of the reasons I wanted to have you on the show this week, aside from Michigan, Michigan State, is because um, I know you kind of as like a, a connoisseur of uh, the Halloween genre, the horror movie genre, 
And I'm trying to get into that. So I want to discuss with you guys um, which Halloween or horror movies are essential to watch to get into the spirit uh, of Halloween and October. All of them. All of them. <laughs> <laughs> no, but uh, seriously, um, my favorite are slashers. And I'm talking like Halloween, which I really want to hear what you thought because it was the first time you uh, watched Halloween this year, right, Joe? I watched Halloween and Halloween 4 this week. Um, I definitely wasn't afraid. Like, I didn't take the trash out and sprint back into my house. I wasn't scared. That was someone else. That was me. (laughs) (laughs) You know, going in, um, you know, I thought I wouldn't be, like, scared because, you know, it's just a dude walking around killing people. Like, that happens today. Um, That went dark a little bit. Sorry. (laughs) Then, like, as soon as you start hearing the piano music, you know, and you're like, wait, he's not in this shot. Like, where is he? And you look around and you see him and you're like, oh, shit. Like, like, you know, that it starts to be, like, a little bit more creepy, you know? Um, So, yeah, I definitely see why uh, the Halloween movies are so hyped up and so loved. Like, they're almost like cult followings. Um, That's an underutilized shot these days. Uh, The background shadow maybe seeing the figure like that's something you don't see as often today but once you see it in a movie then you start looking for it and it really like turns up amps up the creepiness factor right especially when you get the music involved like his little theme music yes he 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 was trying to john carpenter the director who also did the music was trying to get that movie distributed and he showed like um film executive a cut without the music it was a rough cut and the person was like this this movie's not scary and then once he added the music it completely changed the film for the better Uh, it's amazing what what that can add to a film the score you know Uh, oh yeah and the the play on your like your like back shadow movements like the 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 scene where jamie lee curtis goes in the house and she sees like her sister's tombstone and her friend dead on the bed and the dude's hanging and the the chick has a goofy face in the closet and (laughs) she goes back she goes back and like it's the black door and like you just slowly see mike myers face come into like the you know the top of the landing you know at, at the start of you know the stairs and like you're right dude like stuff like that is so underutilized it's just nowadays you see these horror movies it's just like everything's like a jack-in-the-box scare you know what i'm saying just to get you to jump which is like that doesn't really do it for me oh, jumping yeah. yeah you get scared for the moment i want to yeah. be i want to be scared to the point where it's like i'm scared to walk from my car to my house i'm scared to walk in my basement i'm running upstairs 35 year old man i'm running upstairs <laughs> It doesn't. It doesn't matter. You know, say those kind of movies really scare me. Not the like jump out at you movies. Especially when you start anticipating jumping out, it doesn't. Once you know to look for it, it's like it ruins it. Yeah, but it's like you know the people running from Michael and he's just walking slowly. Like that makes it scarier to me. Like he's gonna get you and he's not even gonna try. Like if he was running, you'd already be dead. Like it builds up the anticipation. You know. You know. I always wondered, like, if Michael Myers was actually a really good sprinter. Like, <laughs> like, like that scene where, where uh, uh, Jamie Lee Curtis and her friend are walking down just after her friend told her, slow down, you know, speed kills guy. You know, and, like, 
and he's standing by the bushes like your supervisor watching you at work and then he like like the, the like the girl looks up and like Michael Myers slinks behind the bush and the girl like runs to the bush and looks there and Michael Myers is there and when you look there's like a good like fifty yards from where like where'd he go? Like did he like just slowly duck behind the bushes and boom take off? Like I wanna I wanna know if Michael Myers is like freakishly like fast. Is he like Hussein Bolt fast, you know? Like, this is some of the stupid things I think of when I watch horror films because it's like they don't scare me as much. I just, I just love watching them. But that's fair. Like, how does he just get there? Like, it's crazy. It's scary. Right. That's why it me out. It has no reason to it. Michael Myers on the Segway. <laughs> I got that. It's the Segway in the bush, you know? It's like a little, a little, like, holder, a holster for his knife on his Segway. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of feel like he's playing the long game, too, and that's why he walks fast, speed walks, because he knows he has the whole night. He's like a right. marathon runner, not a sprinter. Damn, right, right. Okay. That's a good point. That's a, that's a, I'm thinking like that. You see, I'm thinking like he's running everywhere, and just like when it's out in the open, he's just like slow walking. <laughs> Maybe he slow walks, so then when he needs the sprint, he has the energy. Yeah. See, dude, mind blown. Mind blown. I'm gonna watch. I'm gonna watch all the Halloweens in a whole new light. <laughs> So the Halloween movies, those are essential. Are there any others, uh, like not Michael Myers movies, that I, I need to see? Because like I said, I'm just getting into it. Um, and I need to know like what I need to watch. Because I don't want to watch something that's like non-essential, you know? Nightmare on Elm Street, Friday the 13th, would be like the next two franchises. I would yes. have you hit. All right, all right. Jotting it down, jotting it down. And I... I I sent you a, you guys a picture so you'd have like a frame of reference. I thought crack. Oh shit! We'll let Mike yeah. back into that when he rejoins us. Uh, I think I know which picture he's talking about. Um, yeah, so I'll have to get into uh, Friday the Thirteenth and Nightmare on Elm Street. Um, yeah, it's just like your like you you can go to like your prototypical like evil villains. You can go you know Michael Myers, Jason, Freddy. Yo, Chucky, Child's Play. So, like, yeah, Mike, I, I, was, I was just saying, like, you know, you can just look at your prototypical, you know, horror villains. You know, you can just look at the Michael Myers, Jason, Freddy, you know, Hellraiser, if you want to, Pinhead. Um, but Chuck, so, you know, you can start, like, picking out those, those, like, iconic horror villains. And I would say just definitely binge watch those guys first. And then you'd be able to spread out into your other little subgenres and here and there stuff. That would just be my opinion. Yeah, hit the essentials, and then you can go to, you know, you had a really good suggestion, Night of the Demons. Once you get, like, the, 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 the classics out of the way, then you can kind of find, like, the hidden gems like that. Oh, right. So what you talking about before you got cut off? Um, I... Uh, oh, yeah, I was talking about the picture I sent you guys of the evolution of Jason. Yes, Space Cyborg. <laughs> yeah, he goes from a drowned boy to a non-drowned maniac, man-child to a zombie to a, I'm not sure, quite sure what he is, to a Space Cyborg. <laughs> right, right. I mean, and, and that is true. Like, like Jason, I think Jason is, like, the out of all those slasher guys, the most, like, 
gory, gory slasher. The way he just kills people. And, like, I don't know if you guys played the video game. Have you guys played that Friday the 13th video game where you can either be Jason against four camp kids or the four camp kids try to escape from Jason or try to kill him? Dude, it's a, it's a really fun game. I haven't played it, but that was, like, the video game that me and my friends would talk about when we were 12, like – the ultimate video game instead it came out when i was in my 30s and i don't have the time to play it as much right right, right. <laughs> i th- i think a, a really um a really underrated um movie was you know it was just like less than 10 years ago. i think it was like 2007 2009 it was called trick or treat have you seen that one i love that movie with the little dude sam running around stabbing people with like the half bitten lollipop but yes so Joe, that's a really good movie too. And I think Anna Paquin's in it. You know, it's it's kind of like a middle of her career. So it's a really good movie. It's like this little like dude that runs around with like a, a burlap sack hat bag on his head and just kills people for not being not taking like Halloween tradition seriously and like being an asshole since Halloween. So this dude goes around and just kills people who are just like just like I don't know, smear the spirit of Halloween, I'd say. I love I love how people just come up with this shit, dude. Like that's right. <laughs> and oh, uh, you both mentioned subgenres, uh, so we'll get into our favorite subgenres now too. Um, there, it feels like there's an endless amount. There's, there's like an endless thing to like, uh, like a grab bag. You can just pick out your genres, but there's so many. You know. Absolutely, and like I said, uh, slashers are my favorite. Um, but I really like most subgenres. Um, sometimes, if it's gory, just for the sake of being gory, like a Herschel Gordon Lewis type movie, I tend to check out. But not necessarily because I am a fan of the first few. Right, saws are good. Yeah, um, I, th- I, th- I even really like this time of year. Get into like family friendly stuff. Um, like, I still like Hocus Pocus and Casper. Uh, uh, Hocus Pocus is great. It's a great freaking movie. <laughs> yeah. Tim Burton does a lot of this stuff. You know, Frank and Weenie, Beetlejuice. I guess Sleepy Hollow's an R-rated movie, but that's really good. Corpse Bride. A Nightmare Before Christmas. Is that to now or in December? Both. Both. Okay, that's fair. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can watch it both. That's, that's, that's a great thing about... You know, Nightmare Before Christmas, they, they, they combine to me two of my favorite holidays. You know what I'm saying? You, you're combining Christmas and Halloween, you know, this is out of the box thinking. And a lot of people think Tim Burton directed that. He actually just produced it. Um, the director of that film actually said it was a Halloween movie. But if he would have been smart, he would have said both. Right. right. Exactly. Um. What I like to do when I'm just looking to have like a good fun time with friends or by myself um, is I love the low budget, just shit, a little bit of porny uh, horror movies. I've been telling you, <laughs> like the Sharknado movies. Yeah. Then you, if you like those '80s raunchy porno low budget movies, Night of the Demons is at the top of my list, dude. It is. <laughs> One of my favorite low-budget, raunchy Halloween well, horror movies. It's it's great, dude. Some chick, some chick sticks a, a 
uh, a demonic chick sticks a, a lipstick in her nipple, bro. <laughs> Check it out, bro. Because when I was five, I thought like women could carry stuff in there because of that movie. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, some Lene Quigley. She's yes. she's in there. She's very hot. Um, and since I didn't really plug myself at the beginning of this podcast, I will do a cheap little plug now. I interviewed the director of that film nice. uh, about ten years ago. Uh, great guy. Um, just look up horrormoviefans.com radio, uh, Kevin Tenney, and you'll be able to find it. Nice. Hey, feel free to like post that on our Facebook page, too. Send us the link. And, uh, we yeah, can most definitely. Absolutely. Um, and if and you're looking just... up other movies of that ilk, Chopping Mall, great film. Yeah. Chopping Mall is really good. It's a good movie, too. But I was reading that uh, uh, Lene Quigley, she just won uh, She just won an award <clears throat> for, like, best actress in a short horror film. And I guess she's really she's really known for uh, her scream. She has, like, a signature scream that's, like, used everywhere. So you can, make a, you can make a living off of your horror scream. Or your- right. <laughs> she's a little underappreciated, too, because if you – Look at her like male equivalent. It'd probably be like Bruce Campbell, and I feel like he gets a little bit more love than she does. I mean, she's done a hundred, hundred and fifty-four films in you know, you know, a thirty-year period. You think that's like honestly that's like five, five films a year, dude? You know, what I'm saying that's that that's hustle mode. You know, so you know, yeah. I want to tell you about this movie I watched after watching Halloween uh, a couple nights ago on the Sci-Fi Channel. It was called Wait for it, Piranaconda. It was a mix between a piranha and an anaconda. Um, <laughs> it was one of those like really low budget. The acting was terrible. Uh, the women are all scantily clad. Like even like there's a scene where this random doctor like finds something and she's like wearing nothing and like the piranaconda comes and just eats her. Like. <laughs> Not to like this film, but the Piranaconda had no say in the story aside from the fact people at random scenes in the movie. Like as soon as you saw somebody get introduced that you didn't recognize from earlier in the film, like within ten seconds, this giant anaconda with a piranha's face just ate them. It <laughs> <laughs> played in the movie named after itself. <laughs> But I just want to get a little critical of this Piranaconda movie because it was it was a mix between a piranha and an anaconda. So it had a piranha's face. So I'm wondering, I'm wondering why it was able to just venture so far outside of the water. Like it was in just the middle of the land, eating people, like not in water. And it was bigger than your normal anaconda. Like shouldn't it be the median size of a piranha anaconda, not bigger than any other anaconda? You would think, think, but then again, is there really a Sharknado? (laughs) (laughs) You know, I mean, like, it just adds to it, you know, it just adds to it. I vaguely remember, like, a news article that came out, like, five or six years ago saying that Sharknados are real. Like, they've actually, (laughs) or maybe it was like, um, like a hurricane of some sort that actually had, like, a whole thing of sharks in it. Sharknado case. I'm going to look that up because it's yeah. intriguing to know if there's really something that could suck <laughs> sharks in the land and drop them on people. 
Yeah, maybe California isn't sounding so awesome now. Maybe I like being in a landlocked uh, state. <laughs> have you seen the Sharknado films, Joe? I have. I love the sequels. <laughs> the first one where they try to, you know, take it seriously and have Tara Reid act, not so much, but the others. Yeah, where they're having just like shameless... Um cameos in there like they're just like basically plugging in celebrities i love it so corny <laughs> Billy Ray Cyrus the doctor. unbelievable part yeah have you seen the piranha films i have not i have not how about you sasha no i haven't i don't i haven't really watched like an like an animal hybrid movie <laughs> I don't. I don't know. They just don't. They just don't grasp me as much. I, you know, if I get to watch, if I get to watch like cheesy, like low budget movies, I'll still go back to the '80s, like you know, Killer Clowns from Outer Space, or like you know, the Evil, oh, the Evil Dead movies. You know, like I like watching that stuff. You know, I'll go. I'll go back to that before I watch like the New Age, you know, Sharknados, or you know, Sharktopus, or you know, like a let's combine two animals. You know. <laughs> Joe, that uh, Sasha kind of brought up a great thing, like talking about the 70s and 80s horror films. As someone that's younger, is it weird going back and watching those films and seeing the amount of nudity they have? Because I feel like we don't get that as much in movies now. No. Well, I feel like now it's weird. Like horror movies are more like widely broadcast, you know, like they're trying to cast their net farther and deeper than they have before. Uh, so like. I feel like they're more, like, widely accepted now, you know, horror movies. I mean, I don't know. I wasn't around back then, so maybe. I wasn't around when, like, the first Halloween movies came out. But it's, like, I feel like um, the broader um, demographic for horror movies now than there was, say, like, even 15 years ago. I mean, is, is it because we everything's so up in our face, you know? Like, I go on my Amazon and now like you can get an Amazon ch- channel called shutter for four ninety nine a month where it's just like nothing but, you know, horror movies and stuff you can, you can watch. Is it just like, we're so more, we, we have more access to horror movies. We have more, you know, TV channels every day, more streaming, you know, stuff every day that we did back then. So I don't think that there was more or there was, you know, I just think now it's just, it's easier to market. So they're just like throwing everything in your face. They're bringing up these old eighties and nineties movies because they're still making money off of them, you know? So, um, yeah, Mike, in terms of like, um, how kind of, I guess, corny the, the mainstream ones are, I guess I was a little surprised by that. Um, but I do see like, before I watched that, it is an R rating. So I guess, I was kind of expecting it with the with the harsh rating that they had, you know. But yeah, yeah it's, it's like, pretty surprising. I saw that you used the word "porny," and that's like immediately <laughs> like, made me think of that. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, for me, like my favorite subgenre, I guess it's not really horror; it's more like thriller. Um, would be the M Night Shyamalan type films where there's like a little creepy, a little twist at the end, you know. I love I love a lot of M Night Shyamalan's work, like Ants, The Village, Signs is one of my all time favorites. 
I dig a lot of his movies too, and I would say if you're if black and white doesn't bother you, go back and watch the original Twilight Zone series because he is definitely inspired by that. I have seen a lot of the original Twilight Zones. Watch yeah. A kid. yeah, a little bit underappreciated, I think, uh, and those are great. Oh yeah, and then classics too. Sasha, uh, you got any thoughts on the, like subgenres? Yeah, like 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 I said, I love Ronchi's eighties B movies. I even like the you know the the mainstream eighties horror movies. I also like what underrated is a lot of George Romero's, you know, zombie movies. I think he, the reason why we watch Walking Dead is because of that man, you know, God rest his soul. But I also, I also really like the old, old horror movies like, you know, the Frankenstein, the Creature of the Black Lagoon, Dracula, Nosferatu, Wolfman, like old, you know, old black and white, you know, horror movies from like the fifties, you know, I like watching those, man. They're just they're they're really beyond cheesy, you know. So I don't know. I I, I think cheesy goodness for me is just I, I love it. It's just like something I just like, like to do. Like, 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 U of M, cheese man. Uh, <laughs> no, no, no. It would have been perfect if he uh, played for Wisconsin, by the way. <laughs> right? How'd they let him slip through there? <laughs> I, I I got second Sasha's uh, um, recommendation of all the Universal horror movies. Another great kind of family friendly horror movie that uh, pays homage to those Universal horror movies is uh, Monster Squad. It's also a bit like Stranger Things. That's a great film to check out. Okay. I know there's an event in Ann Arbor. Um, where U of M is putting on a Stranger Things type show or horror movie, I guess. Or like interactive or house of whatever, haunted house. That's what I'm looking for. <laughs> and they're showing uh, Nosferatu this Friday at the, I think it's the, yeah, it's the Michigan Theater with a live band um, this past weekend. Uh, the State Theater ran Evil Dead, Cabin in the Woods, both great films. Right. Um, so, so if you're listening locally in Washtenaw County, I mean, check out, uh, you know, a lot of these classics are playing in theaters. Actually, Halloween is uh, playing in a lot of different theaters between now and the release of the new Halloween film. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, it's interesting to me that there, there's a Halloween film coming out this uh, like in the next couple of weeks, you know? Um might be like what got me thinking about it because you know they reference Michael Myers. I don't even like know the Myers movies were titled Halloween, Halloween equals. I just know them as like Michael Myers movies. Even like that was appealing to me. And it's pretty amazing that this series has had like such a life. Like we're talking forty years now. Right. Yeah. Are you gonna go see the new one, Joe? Um, maybe. I'm not gonna rule it out. I think we're gonna play it Halloween night, but aside from that, um, yeah, why not? If I'm, I, it, it would be right, you know, since I'm watching them now to uh, finish it out and go see the new one in theaters. 
Yeah, I'm, I'm pumped for it. Um, I'm, I know the director of this film, David Gordon Green. Is he the guy? And I'm trying to verify it real quick on my, uh, on my computer. But is he right. the guy who did Eastbound and Down? I don't know, Sasha. Do you know that? I watched Eastbound and Down a few episodes. That's with that Danny McBride, correct? And he's a baseball yes. player. Yes, I've watched a few episodes. I don't know if it's the same guy you're talking about, but just I don't have a computer in front of me, so you'd already be the best source right now. He's the producer of Eastbound and Down, and him and Danny McBride co-wrote the new horror film, the new Halloween film. Really? Danny McBride's behind it? Yeah, because him and and, uh, the green guy I just referenced, they're like like best buds, and they've worked on a lot of the same features. Um... David, uh, McBride, dude. I know. One hot rod. That's my favorite movie. <laughs> he is hilarious. He's a good dude. Yeah, but well, you ever see, I, I know this is like off the horse subject. Did you ever see the movie with him called The Foot Fist Way? The Foot I haven't. It's hilarious. He's like he's like an aging karate dude, and like he's a, he has a karate school, and there's a, like a Chuck Norris type character he looks up to, and it's. <laughs> It's fucking hilarious. Just look at just, just watch. It's called the Foot Fist Way. The Foot Fist Way. All right. I do love him in Hot Rod, just like Joe. I liked him in um, Pineapple Express. I liked him in the War film with Ben Stiller that I'm blanking on right now. Tropic Thunder. Tropic I liked Thunder. Him. I even liked Your Highness. <laughs> <laughs> I like it when actors expand. Like it's interesting to see him writing for uh, a Halloween movie. Like. Like Jordan Peele from Key and Peele, you know, going out and doing Get Out, and now he's getting more into the directing aspect of aspect of things. Yeah, yeah, most definitely, man. Um, I think I, th- I think you're right. I think just like j- just like just like football, man, you got to move these guys around, see if they're better at acting or if they're better at writing, or if they're better at producing or directing. You know, you never know until someone you know takes that chair, takes that mantle, and sees if they can, you know take that kind of job, you know, upon their shoulders. And I think, you know, key from, you know, key and peel or whichever, which one it is. I always get those guys confused. I think it's peel is, is the, is the writer. Right. But yeah, man, I think, yeah. Peel, you know, you never know unless you try. Right. You know, and he's just like a shining example of that. But guys, Hey, I'm gonna let you go. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a bow out of this. You guys keep going. I got to get ready for this, uh, Halloween thing tonight. Me and my wife want to go hiking. She's on my case, dude. You guys stay single, you know. <laughs> Don't ever get married because it's 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 literally a horror show every day. Sasha, out. I love you guys, man. Mike, thanks for joining us, man. I hope you can join us, you know, more and more. Maybe we make this a threesome if you guys, you know, get down like that. But Sasha from California, <laughs> I love you guys. I'm out. Later, Sasha. Later, Sasha. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and just for the record, I am married, just in case uh, my better half listens to this. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> Sabrina. Um, <laughs> um, I know you love James Gunn, and it was announced he was going to be, uh, I think, writing the new Suicide Squad movie. Uh, I don't think either of us have seen the first one, but would this entice you to go see it? Yes, yes, I love James Gunn. Um, you talk about cheesy horror films. James Gunn got to start with Trauma. 
Um, little backstory on that. Uh, Tromeo and Juliet, the film, first film he wrote. Um, I actually had Sabrina send me a little clip. And she was like, look at this. And um, I'm trying to think of a way I can describe this clip so this, uh, <laughs> this podcast doesn't get an R rating. But let's <laughs> just say there's a scene that involves nudity and um, a Freddy Krueger-looking body part. And I was like, oh, that's from Tromeo and Juliet. And I just, I just love how far James Gunn has done, um, or how far James Gunn has come. Um, I love all of his films. I love the two Guardians of the Galaxies. Um, I'll see anything he does. Uh, I feel bad that he was fired from that franchise, but at the same time, selfishly, I kind of want, didn't want to see him do a third Guardians. I wanted to see him do something else. And Suicide Squad's such a cool idea, but that trailer for the first one looked awful. And then everyone told me it was awful, so I didn't even want to waste my time with it. Exactly. So, that's exactly what I did with Suicide Squad too. Um, yeah, I think just knowing how he what what he did with the Guardians of the Galaxy, those are my two favorite Marvel films, the two Guardians of the Galaxy films. Yeah, I think I would be more enticed to go see it. Uh, but again, how, how let down were you then? Like, what's your perspective? Like when he was fired from the third one? Like since you love his film. <laughs> Sometimes the third in a trilogy is not so good. So I don't know. Like it's it's kind of concerning that they were still pushing forward with the third one even without James Gunn. Like that concerned me more than um knowing there was going to be a third one, you know? Does that make sense? Oh yeah, absolutely. I've kind of tapped out on that whole I know I'm in the minority there, but I'm kind of done with those films. And recording issues. Um, I think there's like 18 MCU movies now. <laughs> yeah, and no, I'm just, I'm, I'm, I, I have to admit, like, I kind of don't care now. I, I, I mean, I love, the, I love the original Iron Man. I love the original Captain America. I love the original Avengers. But, like, after a while, it's like I'm kind of done. Yeah, yeah, so, um, and I know that's you know the minority opinion, but that's why I was kind of glad to see him go somewhere else. And uh, I know a lot of DC fans have been terribly disappointed with the bulk of of uh, DC films I've made in like the post Nolan uh, uh, Dark Knight trilogy. Um, yeah, absolutely. Uh, so hopefully, James Gunn can kind of help them turn it around. Um, and by the way, if you're interested in other James Gunn's movies, I recommend Super with Rain Wilson, uh, Slither, which is kind of like his um, was his uh, transition film from trauma into mainstream films, and it kind of has both. Um, he also co-wrote the Donna Dead remake from 2004 with Ving Rhames. Great film. All right, I'll... it was all out. Um... Before we wrap up, uh, just like a quick recap, we talked about Michigan, Michigan State, both coming off huge wins uh, and an even huger, even huger win, uh, game this next week. You guys picked Michigan. Um, I'm showing my bias of picking Michigan State. I hope. 
I think it's going to be a one possession game either way. I think so too. That was a bold pick by Sasha saying. And considering, uh, you know, last week, uh, he didn't seem as high on Michigan. Um, right. Which you know they hadn't beaten Wisconsin yet. You know, with even and with their bad defense, kind of Wisconsin's good. But you know, he seemed a little bit more down on Shea last week than I would. I kind of saw the potential with Michigan there. Uh, it's mm-hmm. still it's a rivalry game, you know. Uh, I would say like a blowout would be the outlier rather than uh, the norm. Mm-hmm. Um, also, you have some Farbar products, don't you? Like you have a sweater or a hoodie? I have a hoodie, and it's great. Yeah, I just got a shirt from Farbar this week. Guys, check out far-ebar.com. Uh, he puts a lot of work into his products, and they are top quality, and we love them. Yep, great guy too. Big supporter of this podcast. Yeah, huge supporter and a great guy, like you said. Uh, thanks for coming on, Mike. Like Sasha said, hopefully we can do this more often. And hopefully uh, our recordings can be uh, more seamless <laughs> than this one has been. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. And thank you for having me.